Welcome to the Healthy Leadership Mentor, a podcast hosted by Andrew Gray. Andrew has over 25 years experience as a business owner, not-for-profit leader, keynote speaker, mentor, and consultant. On the show, Andrew talks everything related to leadership, high-performance psychology, and inner life health for leaders in the world of business, sport, not-for-profit, politics, and media. With a tertiary background in sports psychology and a multi-decade career developing healthy, high-performance leaders, Andrew is ready to empower your path towards a healthy and fruitful life. Let's go to today's episode. Welcome back to the show once again, everybody. My name's Andrew Gray, the Healthy Leadership Mentor. We're right in the middle of a season called If I Were, I Would. I'm taking a look at five positions of influence that we, the public, probably would like to see performed a little bit better, a bit more responsibility, a bit more accountability, perhaps. And uh, this is our second last episode in this season, episode number four. So far, we've taken a look at if I were the Prime Minister of Australia, if I were a famous athlete, and last week we looked at if I were a celebrity artist like a singer or an actor or something of that nature. Well, today, we're looking at one that I've been really excited to bring to you. We're looking at if I were the Minister for Education, I would. I'm talking specifically in Australia, but the thoughts and principles that you will hear me share in this episode could apply to many, many other places, not just Australia. So I'd love to hear from you. Get your comments, get your thoughts. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Put it in the comments below. I'd love to hear from you. Of course, as I've stated before, we are accepting the fact that for most of us, we haven't walked a mile in the shoes of the people in these roles. And so we have a certain amount of distance from all of these positions. However, just because we have distance and we might not have held the role does not prohibit us from having an opinion, having a view, especially when these roles are positions of public influence. We have to have an opinion. We have to have a viewpoint. And so that's what we're doing here in this season. If I were, I would. Some of the items that we would try to do, that I would try to do, if we held these particular positions of influence in these roles. So let's get right into this subject today. If I were the Minister for Education, I've got 10 items on the list, things that I would try to do, things that I see are perhaps grossly lacking or need change in order to get better outcomes for our young people, for our students. And so if I were the Minister for Education in Australia, I would, number one, get the focus back on learning the basics. We are sliding backwards in Australia as compared to many other nations, our neighbours and other comparative nations on education standards, our reading, our writing, our mathematics, our abilities in those areas across junior schools and senior schools around the country are dwindling. And it's because we've lost focus. We've gotten distracted. We need to get back to focusing on learning the basics, certainly providing for all of the children who have special needs and learning disabilities. We're not for a moment diminishing the need to do that, but we are focusing our attention on the need to get back to learning the basics, getting, getting back to the basic principles of helping children learn how to learn. We've got way too much focus in our education system on what to learn, which has its place in some subjects for some periods of time, but we don't put enough emphasis on how to learn. If we can teach children how to learn, they will be so much better prepared for their life after school and in their careers and in the rest of their journey in life. We've got to get back to focusing on the basics. Number two, if I were the Minister for Education, I would ban all woke ideology from the classroom and the staff room. Schools should not be being used for social engineering experiments like they have been in recent times, particularly in the last five to ten years. 
Our education system has been infiltrated by activists and people with other agendas that do not have the best interests and the best outcomes of the children and the young people at heart. The motives and the interests of these people is to re-architect society and to do so by infiltrating the institution of education and having a role and an influence in shaping young minds for their own personal agendas. If I were the Minister for Education, I would go on a mission with my team to find every single expression of woke ideology and ban it from the classroom and the staff room, and educators and people who try to push ahead with it would be at risk of losing their job. We need educators who are there to educate the children and prepare them for life and prepare them for their own choices, not to try and engineer their minds according to certain woke ideologies and agendas. I would be so, so affirmative about that particular item. Number three, if I were the Minister of Education, I would return the responsibility of sexual education to parents first. Schools should only ever have a role in sexual education as a complementary and support role to what is being discussed and talked about in the home family environment. Now, I understand and I accept that we are living in a day and an age where there's so many broken families and some of these important subjects don't happen the way they should, when they should, with who they should. Putting that aside for a moment, that doesn't change the fact that it is a parent's right to talk about sexual education, what is right, what is wrong with their own children first. This is not the primary role for schools. Schools need to take a backseat role offering support services at the discretion of parents. I would immediately return the responsibility for sexual education to parents and families and homes first and require all schools to be set up and established as a support service only activated when requested by parents and or by students. But the first right of educating on this subject has to be with families, has to be with parents, We've got to take this out of schools. Why? Because this subject matter has been hijacked by the same people in the previous point who have infiltrated our education system with their woke ideologies and tried to re-engineer and re-architect society by bringing their own personal agendas and their own personal outcomes into the classroom. We've got to get it out of libraries. We've got to get it out of the classroom subject matter, get our educators focusing again on the basics, on teaching children and young people how to learn and return this responsibility to where it should have always been in the hands and the mouths of parents and families. Number four, if I were the Minister for Education, I would ban all students, regardless of age, regardless of whether they're in the public or private sector, I would ban all students from participating in any kind of political protest during school hours. Let me start off by saying children and young people generally don't know what is right to think about political issues. As they get into their late teens, they start to have a viewpoint, and they should. However, taking children out of school or allowing children to come out of school time to go and join in political protests, whatever they are for, I don't care what they're pro. I don't care if they're pro this, pro that, anti this, anti the other. Protests of a political nature or any other nature, are not the place for children and young people to be a part of when they should be in school. We've got to ban this nonsense, allowing children to voice their... Sure, voice your opinion at 3.05pm in the afternoon. Do so in cooperation and with or without the permission of your parents. Again, 
This is the result of activists infiltrating the education system, harnessing and hijacking the passions and the enthusiasm of young people for their own personal agendas and trying to utilize them as minions and lemmings in their own uh, political foray and, and, and march towards what they want to achieve in society. During school hours, school students should be in school classrooms. It's crazy that we're even having to affirm this point. But if I were the Minister for Education, I would immediately put a ban on that. Teachers and schools uh, facilitating kids taking time out to protest would be at uh, risk of losing funding. Parents would be responsible for answering for children who are not in the classroom and are participating in protests. And students in their later years would risk having their uh, qualifications for year 10, their accreditation and their opportunity to participate in the HSC, those things will be jeopardised if they were found participating in protests when they should be in school. On the weekend, people can do what they want. After school hours, they can do what they want with cooperation with their family and their parents. During school hours, it's a no-brainer. They should be in the classroom. Number five, if I were the Minister for Education, I would increase the penalties for serious indiscretion of students. I'm talking here about violence, intimidations and threats against students or staff. I would increase the penalties so that we would quickly put a stamp on removing those kinds of behaviours from the school grounds and the school classroom. What is true from the youngest of ages through to the oldest of adults is that If there is an expectation of behavior and a certain way of interacting with others, that expectation must be paired with a consequence. Otherwise, the expectation is pointless and futile in the first place. If the expectation is that all students should be able to get along and cooperate and treat others with respect and behave in a certain way, which they should in a classroom environment, when they cross that line and they don't, there should be commensurate consequences for those behaviours, especially if we're talking about violence and intimidation, we have to return power to the education system so that those kinds of students are required to cooperate. And if they refuse to cooperate, they can't participate. It's as simple as that. And if we don't take that stance, we will see a proliferation of students being assaulted, staff members being threatened, and all kinds of ridiculous behaviours that should never, ever take place in the grounds of a school. If I were the Minister for Education number six, I would legislate severe penalties for any student found guilty of bullying, whether it's online or offline. I would take an incredibly strong stance on this subject matter. Bullying needs to be outlawed and dealt with with a firm hand. Education is a small part of the process. Consequences are the answer to the situation. That students who are found bullying either face-to-face or online, must be met with severe consequences, including their right to continue participating in the classroom, their right and their access to the education they have in that school. Why? Because the outcomes that we are seeing take place from bullying all across the country is that we have teenagers and younger killing themselves and thinking about killing themselves because of bullying. This is disgusting. If we don't have enough strength in our political leaders, in our educational leaders, in our community leaders to take an aggressive stance against bullying, then those leaders should resign and get out of the way. If the Minister for Education has not got the backbone to come out vocally and legislatively 
with strategies and actions to finally once and for all bring a hardcore line against bullying, then they should resign. Get out of the way and give the job to someone who's got the backbone to actually tackle this serious issue. We cannot stand for even one more student committing suicide or even students who are going home and thinking about it privately because of the bullying that they're having to endure. It's ridiculous and we need people with enough strength to take a stand against it. If I were the Minister for Education, number seven, I would adjust the curriculum to incorporate more shape-based learning. What do I mean by this? Well, basically what I'm saying is that if you take the cross-section of any classroom around Australia, there is only a small percentage of students in every classroom who are academically gifted. Now, what we have traditionally done in the classroom is we have structured programs like the Gifted and Talented Program, and what we mean is a very, very narrow expression that two, three, four, maybe five kids in the class are academically gifted, and so they perform at a higher level academically. However, if we try to force the entire cross-section of students into that one pathway of a binary approach, you are academically gifted or you're not, we are doing one of the grossest disservices to young people as they grow and develop by over-elevating the importance of academic gifting and under-profiling the importance of other areas of gifting and talent. Why don't we have programs that are about the talented musically, the talented with sport, the talented with art, the talented with engineering? Now, I know we're starting to see some programs like STEM education, and there's probably a few educators who will listen to this and they'll get on their high horse and get upset with me. I'm okay with that. I don't mind. My point is we are not yet doing a good enough job across the education system on changing the curriculum to fall in line with shape-based learning. What if we have a student that when they enter year seven, their early days of high school, have clearly shown the patterns that they're never going to be at the top of the class academically, but perhaps they have a brilliant acumen for problem solving or engineering problem solving or design or inventing or building Why are we still forcing these students to go down the same pathway with the curriculum, with their subject choices, and forcing them down this funnel towards a HSC outcome that really is only going to suit probably 10 to 20% of the student body by the time they hit year 12? My viewpoint is we are not doing anywhere near enough to help students on a shape-based learning, their natural abilities, their personality, their profile, their shape of their strengths and their abilities and their weaknesses. We have to be doing more in this regard, especially with the curriculum. Now, I know it's not an easy solve. I know it will take a lot of work. I know it will be hard to reinvent and change it, but we have to push forward to do this for the sake of students, lest we have this proliferation of students coming out the end of the HSC in year 12, believing that they are a failure and that they won't succeed in life because they weren't academically gifted They didn't get a great HSC mark. They didn't get the best offers into university. We are living in a day and an age where there are dozens and dozens of pathways available to students to be successful in their life, but we are not profiling them anywhere near enough inside the context of education, and we've got to do better. Number eight, if I were the Minister for Education, I would decrease the assessment load on senior students. Why? Again, We are pushing them into so much pressure to perform with assessments and exams and extra load that they are getting to the point where they're not coping. 
And the fact of the matter is that year on year, the load is getting higher and the pressure is increasing. Again, it flows in line with this last point that we have way too much in our architecture and the framework of our education system that's pushing children towards its HSC or nothing. Well, few things could be further from the truth. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of pathways forward for every student that comes out of school, but the assessment load is continuing to reflect the fact that the most important thing, words count for something, but actions speak louder, and the actions are that the most important thing, according to the education system, is the HSC. I disagree. I've always disagreed. The HSC is important, but is it the most important thing for a student to pass through in order to move towards their future? Certainly not. Not even close, in my opinion. If we had better shape-based learning, we could actually help students to take the pressure off with exams and assessments and purely academic measures about who they are and what they can do in their future. We could take the pressure off, we could open up the options, and we would have happier, more productive, better-placed young adults as they move into the labour force and into their careers. Number nine, if I were the Minister for Education... I would have mandatory education on personal money management commencing in year nine. I'm fascinated that even though it gets talked about constantly, we teach our students from year seven to year 12 all kinds of content, and that's fine. We teach them how to get a job. We teach them how to get a uni placement. We teach them how to pursue the pathways that will pay them more dollars. And yet, by the time 99% of students have left HSC, They haven't got the slightest idea how to manage their own part-time income. They don't know how to invest. They don't know how to run a budget. They don't know how to live within their means. What value is it to get high marks, a high-ranging university option, a great career, a great job, if at the end of that you don't even know how to manage the money that you earn? It is beyond uh, explanation to me that we don't yet have it built into our education system that children and young people are being taught how to manage money, especially when we know for a fact that it's not happening enough on the home front. We have to do better for our students to help them live free of the pressure and the stress, especially when they're leaving school and entering a society that already has a housing bubble, already has a cost of living crisis, already has an affordability crisis, especially especially in the capital cities. It's a crime that we are not teaching students how to manage their money and they get to the end of their schooling days and haven't a clue how to manage and budget the money that they earn. Number 10, and the last item for this episode on the season of If I Were, I Would. Number 10, if I were the Minister for Education, I would seek to introduce performance-based remuneration increases for teachers. Now, I've used the word seek there because I know that this idea would receive and attract huge amounts of opposition. I know, having worked in the education sector and spent a lot of time Uh, involved in private schooling and understanding the structure of what goes on, I know that this idea will be fought. Of course it will be fought. Who wouldn't want pay rises that are based on length of service and how long you've been in the job? And yet nearly every other industry that we have in the country, pay rises are based either in part or in full on performance. And yet we don't see that going on in the classroom. We need to bring in a smart and acceptable and mutually beneficial system that brings in incentive and bonus for getting performance and getting results as an educator. We cannot just continue to stomach this idea that pay rise happens just because you happen to continue in the job. 
As I've said in many situations before, length of time is never an automatic correlation to increasing performance. Length of time is not an automatic correlation to increasing performance. Increasing performance is a correlation to increasing performance. And we want our teachers to do better. We want them to grow. And we know they work hard. And we know that they're doing their best. And we know that for some of them, their environment and their context is not easy. We know all of that. But we don't want to continue curtsying to this idea that they've got it the toughest, that they've got it the hardest out of everybody. They do not. And they have a lot of provisions. And we're happy for them to have the provisions. However, I would be seeking to introduce performance-based remuneration increases for teachers so that we keep lifting the level and the outcomes for the students, for the young people. Those are the 10 things I'd do if I were the Minister for Education. I know some of you have listened to this and thought, well, I, I hope and pray that you're never the Minister for Education. I don't mind if you disagree. I'm okay with that. But I think you'll find there's plenty of people watching and listening who will take a handful of these points, maybe all of them, And would agree because these are the kinds of viewpoints that I'm hearing all the time from people as I talk to members of the public. We want people in these positions of influence to do better for all of our sakes. And if they don't want to do better or if they can't do better, move out of the way and give somebody else a go. That's all we've got time for in this episode of If I Were, I Would. We've got one more episode next week and I'm going to be dealing with the subject of If I Were the CEO of a large public company. Until then, I'd love it if you could subscribe, like, hit the notification bell, maybe share this episode. Maybe you're angry about this episode. Share it with a friend and say, look at this idiot who talked about if I were the Minister of Education. I don't mind. Get the conversation going, share it. And in the show notes, as I've said before, you can subscribe to my newsletter there, which comes out weekly and also check out more information about my core business, APG Elite. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. Until next time, bye for now. You have been listening to The Healthy Leadership Mentor with Andrew Gray. This episode was proudly sponsored by APG Elite, home of world-class mentoring, management and consulting. Find out how APG Elite can help transform your organisation by visiting apgelite.com.au or if you would like to subscribe to Andrew's weekly newsletter, you can do that by visiting andrew-gray.ck.page. For all other links, including Instagram and TikTok, see the show notes. Until next episode, thanks for tuning in.